Hello again, listeners. It's Paula, the book-loving librarian from Libraries NI. I have with me here Kirsty from Brownlow. Hello. And Michael from Randallstown. Hi, everybody. As you know, Libraries NI are shadowing the BBC 100 novels that shaped our world. Now, shadowing the BBC 100 is really quite straightforward. Each month has a theme and there are 10 books on each theme. Kirsty, Michael and myself select one of the 10 books. We do this by a lucky dip, which is actually a tin. After reading the books, we get together for a chat and discuss, was the book world shaping? Would you recommend it? Did you enjoy it? Did you learn anything from it? Our first podcast was on the theme of identity and can be listened to here. Remember, if you liked our podcast, you can rate, review and subscribe. This month, the 10 books were on the theme of love, sex and romance. Good one for February. Michael, what did you get from the tin? the uh, special effects department. No expense spared. <laughs> um, I got Pride and Prejudice uh, by Jane Austen. It was a book I was looking forward to getting because it's one of those well-known classics, um, a book that possibly I should have read. So I'm glad I, I um, hit it lucky again with yeah. the lucky dip. Uh, I should try my hand at the lottery here. Um, <laughs> yeah, remember your we'll friends. We'll see what next. Remember your friends. <laughs> yeah, oh, of course, of course. <laughs> It's kind of what I expected it to be. It's uh, kind of frothy, but it's a very well-written book. It's full of witticisms. You know, it's not a book that you can race through. It is... Did you read uh, so many pages every night? I tried to, but there's 61 chapters. Oh, my goodness. Um, So I thought with... uh, Take myself off to the library. (laughs) In fact, I did build my own library, like Mr. Bennett. Um, Ironically, I spent more time um, building bookshelves than I um, did reading books, you know, so... Anyway, the book, it's a, it's a comedy of manners, uh, which is very evident. It's set in the Regency period. And there's is there any very, sex in it? Um, there, there are quite a few things in the language in the book that mm-hmm. um, certainly if you were writing the book today, uh, you would not have used the same... <laughs> Some of the same words. It's, you know, the way um, the word gay has been changed uh, over the years. You know, it, you know, it re- refers to being very happy and this kind of thing. But joyous. there's a few other words. You don't have to say them now. No, no, I won't. <laughs> I don't think I will. But anyway, there's... So the language is of its period, and I was quite happy mm. enough to go along with that. It took me a little while to get into the flow and uh, the style mm. and the language is very much of its period. Mm-hmm. So and like the characters? The or? characters, yes. The um, You have to kind of accept the, the five sisters, you know, as they are. The, the, they're very different personalities and the protagonist is Elizabeth and the, 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 the whole plot really centres around Mr. Darcy mm. and uh, Elizabeth. If you wanted to sum up the the book, it would be boy loses girl, boy gets girl, boy loses girl again, and boy eventually gets girl without you know it being a spoiler. Um, but it's it's quite long drawn out. Mm-hmm. The the comedy of manners mm-hmm. that's where the comedy comes mm-hmm. from, and the pride and prejudice, the pride of Mister Darcy and the prejudice through not fully understanding where his personality is coming from. Mm. And it's kind of, it, it all ties in towards the end of the book, but you have to be quite patient, I think. And it's, it's, it all comes together. It all comes together, and it's a book someone's described for uh, 
a rainy day and a nice comfortable windowsill. Did you um, imagine yourself being taken back in time for that period? Did you enjoy Well, yes, I did um, kind of allow myself a little bit of a fantasy where they were describing Mr. Darcy's palatial pad with his parklands and mm. Pemberley, I think it was. Yeah. I never, I, I, the film I was waiting for, um, I didn't see the, the real bodice ripper of the film, mm. um, <laughs> where, you know, Colin Firth has become famous, that was his you know, <laughs> thing, where he, he emerges from the, the river, is it, and he's kind of soaked, I don't know, is that a different film? Who's it, Mr. Collins, who's a really pedantic, just thoroughly unlikable character you know he's um, a minister he he he's a minister mm-hmm. yeah but he's full of christianity but no christian values mm. and he stands on etiquette very much mm-hmm. and the grand lady of the book who you know mm-hmm. and uh who you know in society and people that are it's very class driven mm-hmm. and it probably that would have been at the height of the class society mm-hmm. just through the, the napoleonic wars mm-hmm. and just after i think jane austen is poking fun at that she could see that and at the time probably it was maybe a radical book mm-hmm. mr bennett is portrayed all the way through as being very hands off, off mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. disappearing off to the library and didn't want to be troubled with anything. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Bennett is just flighty and a socialite mm-hmm. and very shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her they, whole focus is to the find daughters love, their, their married, to find love for her story. girls. And to ensure but was it love? Was it not just get them well married? Get them well decide? married, yeah. But well, but at the then, end, like even the father character, you know, at the end, he sort of says that he couldn't have given her away to someone who didn't love her. Obviously, so, this book has so, made a deep impression of you. Remember <laughs> almost as well as I can. I only finished it this morning. No, it's just you know. He wanted them all to marry well, but because that character was sort of, you get the impression, his favourite daughter, he wanted her to be not only married well, but happy oh, in yeah. love. Yeah. You see, that came towards the end of the book. I think everybody was redeemed towards the end mm-hmm. of the book. It was one of these books where it was almost written for Hollywood because it was a happy ending all round. I love happy endings. And, what uh, can I say? By that, um, mm-hmm. Mr. Bennett um for almost for the first time made his feelings known. Mrs. Mrs. Bennett as well, I think. Well, once she has her primary concern of getting most of her daughters married off, it seems to settle down, is not very often troubled with her nerves. But you know, how did how <laughs> did the two how did the two eldest girls become more mature and mm. more a little more worldly? And um it's because I think the emphasis was put on their reading well. And I think it was somewhere in the middle of the book where they they chose to read. The, the Countess says, you know, how can you ever learn anything without the aid of a governess? Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, how did they learn anything? Because their father didn't give them mm-hmm. instruction and their mother was the most, Lighting. you know, annoying <laughs> character. She, she was just so in awe Gosh. of money and position mm-hmm. and these kind of things, you know. So... Yeah. I get drawn in, and um, and it is kind of a fantasy. Did you I, enjoy, you enjoyed it? I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I would like to have maybe Mr. Bennett deciding not to leave his estate to uh, Mr. Collins. You know, because Mr. Collins was such a pain in the backside. <laughs> really, you know, um, he had proposed. 
first yes, I remember. couple yes. to uh, Elizabeth who turned him down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Elizabeth was, you know, principled. She wanted to marry mm-hmm. for, for, love, for love, not just for position. position. You know, I can you can plainly see that, okay, it's a book that has influenced down the ages, and rightly so. It's so well so it's world-shaping. It is definitely world-shaping. Would um, you recommend it? And I would recommend it, yeah. That's great, Michael. Thanks for that. Kirsty, what did you get from the tin? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness, that's going to crack me up every time. The book was um, The 40 Rules of Love. And I'm going to just apologise at the start if I pronounce things wrong. It's by an author called Ella Shafrak, and she's a French-born Turkish writer. I didn't really know an awful lot about the book when I pulled it out. It's not something I would have chose to read for myself. It's not in the genre I would usually pick. So I just had to go into it with an open mind. The main character is a lady called Ella who's been married for over 20 years. She has a grown-up daughter, 20-ish and twin boys and girls and this is her life. You know, it's all about the relationship with her husband and her unconditional love for her children. And sort of part of the plot is she has got this job with a literary company and there's a second novel within the book called mm-hmm. uh, Sweet Blasphemy. The second book is actually based on the, another relationship. It's about this 13th century poet called Rumi and his relationship with a gentleman called Shams of Trebiz. So like Michael was saying with regard to Regency culture and the language being different with his book, I find this quite challenging because as well as the modern story, which was easy and flowing to read because everything was familiar, when they were speaking in about the, the second story, mm-hmm. because it's all based on Muslim religion and their culture, um, a lot of it I didn't know about. So... It's not just like reading a story where everything comes naturally yes. and you're sort of learning and, yeah. you know, you're you're finding out new things and the terminologies and the phrasings, that, you know, yeah, where all to understand their culture. Yeah. Basically, the story develops in that Ella's reading more of this sweet blasphemy story and it's about one is sort of like a leader and a teacher and it's all about the spiritual. It's about love and spirituality and it's exploring what it means to follow your heart. It was about the change in Rumi from being just a, a teacher talking to middle class acceptable people. The Shams character comes in, their relationship, the love and friendship that they develop, he sort of makes him look outside his normal accepted culture. So when you're reading this part of the book, it can be from Shams' perspective, it can be from uh, Rumi's perspective but then they also engage with different characters like beggars, salads, and um, Rumi's family mm-hmm. like they'd be jealous of his relationship mm-hmm. with this person who's just come into their life yeah. they can see the change developing in their father Ella then starts to develop a relationship with the author All right. who is also a Sufi as in you know they have taken vows of um, you know austerity and poverty and helping other people and bringing love to life mm-hmm. and this is why he wrote this book you can read it on a purely superficial level where you're just reading the story or a bit like myself whenever I was reading it if there was something I didn't understand I wanted to know what it meant 
you know mm-hmm. i wanted to find out why it was you know what it meant like the word sufi so it just means that he is a religious leader mm-hmm. so it was introducing me to broadening your horizons definitely yeah. you know because you you think you know things you know broadly mm-hmm. but within the context of the story you were learning about the way of their culture and then like even within the the sweet blasphemy books the way that certain sections of society again in the bible you see it would be a straight mm-hmm. crossover where you know, prostitutes were looked down on, beggars were looked mm-hmm. down on, but Jesus, you know, was mm-hmm. all like, no, we should welcome everybody. Yeah. And I think one of the strands about love and devotion and about understanding is all about, you know, you need to not just look at the superficial or the, it's about love for everyone within this religion and how just basically we should treat everybody, mm-hmm. you know, how we would like to be treated. So it's not just about romantic love because you have that with Ella mm-hmm. and her developing relationship with the author of the book. You have romantic love that has turned into a way of life, which is Ella and her husband. Mm-hmm. So there's that type of love. And I think this whole book is about at the end, and I'm not going to say too much <laughs> because I would like to recommend this book and not have everybody know absolutely everything uh, about it. So you know, everybody. Sense. I'm intrigued with the title, The 40 Rules of Love. Mm-hmm. Is it set out? The, Rule number one. Is it, yeah. yeah or is, as they go. Now, it, it doesn't sort of give them an order. It's sort of just throughout the story, there will be a piece of wisdom mm-hmm. written as in this rule states or rule 32 mm-hmm. states. And it's, you did know, you make a list of them? <laughs> no, no, but it did say at the end of them, the last rule is it's not just the exciting sort of yes, new wave of love. It's about love between a man and, you know, mm-hmm. and a woman in a relationship. It's between your children. It's with your friend. It's with the people oh, around yeah, you. Different and I think, yeah, and I think, I think all of that came through it, you know. Is that the, those 40 rules are they lifted from they're religious worded, kind of rules? They're or? worded in that way. Like, they're quite long, but, you know, could be shortened to a quite simplified version. Yeah. It was just linking it into each part of the story. Um, did you learn anything new about love or did you, you're not an expert in the... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it was, it wasn't what I expected in that um, it sort of made me look at it in a different way. I think like when we... Be fair to say the 40 rules of love is pretty different from the 50 shades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very much so. It's all about transforming your life and filling it with love, what the 40 rules were about. And I did like the structure of the second story, which came from different people's perspective, because you could see how things were developing and how people could see the changes happening mm-hmm. in those characters. It might have been nice to have seen Ella's story from the perspective of her husband, so you could see how yes. she was changing in his eyes and see how her relationship with her children were changing and, you know, as well as her just changing and developing and moving on with Mm -hmm. looking for, you know, what love was to her and what she was prepared to do to find love and that fulfilment. It was just... Would you recommend it? I would in that I found it very gratifying to finish and while it was 
not a not an easy or throwaway read. I'm glad I have read it. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, it makes you think about things, not only your personal relationships, but our relationships within society and how love forms mm -hmm. all of those. So it's a more a wider love than a romantic love. Yeah. That's great. Kirsty, thank you very much. Welcome. Well, I got Bridget Jones's Diary by Helen Fielding and I was really delighted to get this. It's a book I hadn't read, but I had seen the film. Now, I thought it was going to be too difficult to read the book because you'll always have that visual imagery in the background. And I would like to say, big knickers, I could not find anything <laughs> in the book. So that is obviously something that has come out of the film. The book is in diary format. And to be perfectly honest, I was completely and utterly bored to death. And I found it really tedious the way she counted her calories. She counted her alcohol units. She weighed herself. And then there were cigarette counts. Every day? Every day. Every time her diary entry, which was every couple of days. So you didn't enjoy reading it? No, I got really tired of her ca calorie count, alcohol units and cigarettes. She's trying to sort of improve her body image and her body shape into something more acceptable. And she keeps saying she wants to be eight and a half stone. Now, what height is she? But with regard to love, sex and romance then? Oh, there's plenty of romance. She's in pursuit of Mr. Darcy, but she's been pursued by Daniel Cleaver who talks about her skirt and whether skirt is in good form today or skirt is a little bit ill today and does skirt need him looking after and flirting flirting with her in the office and there are all these emails and things and I find that quite funny. But I really did like her dysfunctional parents, her mum and her dad. Her mum becomes involved with Julio, who's a Portuguese chap and he ends up getting involved in a property scam. And I just thought it was hilarious that at the end of all of Bridget Jones's angsting about how to get into society and how to understand how things work out. And her mum, who brazenly ripped off a lot of their relations and friends, she just has the brass neck to insert herself back into society and continue on as if nothing has changed. Really? And this is just, I think, a real eye-opener for Bridget. Actually, Bridget should be doing that. But Bridget is so concerned and, and I actually find it quite sad. Isn't that bizarre that somebody would be that obsessed? And she's trying to find sort of, when I have this, I will be happy. When I drink less alcohol and smoke less cigarettes. Nowadays she'd be vaping and drinking <laughs> gin and she'd be on Tinder. No, I just, I, I did find it a wee bit tedious, but I think that's just me. Maybe that's my too, age. Yeah, that's, you're just not into that kind of thing. But I mean, and maybe do you think it wasn't like the film? And if you found the film funny and then it was the book was quite repetitive? Yes. Yes, I did like the film. I'd seen the film before and I quite like Hugh Grant. <laughs> Which I'm embarrassed to admit. Some of it was funny. Some of it was mm. funny, yes. And I particularly enjoyed bits like she programs the VCR to record stuff for a week. That's the video cassette recording <laughs> for all you younger ones who are listening. Well, it sounds like, you know, the book I read was kind of like an original and the book you read is a bit of a knockoff of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. You know, Mr. Darcy and yes. uh, Mark Darcy and, you know, the dysfunctional parents. and that Bridget kind of Jones thing. herself says in the book when she was reading Pride and Prejudice, she really so wanted Elizabeth Bennet and Darcy to get together and get things sorted. But um, she just, it's as if she can't decide whether she should stick with the cad who is Cleaver in the office. Is or, he funny and interesting? Or? Well, I find it very hard to read about him without visualising Hugh Grant, <laughs> which is just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I just kept thinking of him as a bit of a card, really. He's yeah. a rogue. He's a good laugh in the office, but he's not yeah. someone you would really want to put roots down, put roots down with. Whereas so Darcy the, ends so up sorting it all out, and all he goes off and sorts out the whole property business scam secretly. And comes back as really Is quite a, a hero. lot of satisfaction in that, though, or would you? Would you I just thought, oh, for goodness' him? sake, how yeah. typical is that? You know, I, I really, I'm maybe just quite hard to. So, do you think, right? Because we talked about when you selected this about, we all laughed, and we sort of, it was very popular at the time, mm. and it was sort of had a a reputation. She was very easily identifiable with it. A lot of people thought, oh, I really love Bridget Jones and that's me. That's just great. And that's, they could sort of visualise her. But actually, she's just a fictitious character. I don't know. I think she was just like a 30-something. She talked about smug marriage. Now, I actually realised I'd remembered that phrase. My, uh, my sister-in-law called us a smug marriage before she hooked up with her partner. <laughs> <laughs> but I remembered it and thought, that is a great phrase. Yeah. So that's people who are married are smart. And they've got it all sorted out. Got their kids and their house and their car and their yeah. Labrador. But if I refer back to the story in the start of my book, Alice, she looked like that. Mm-hmm. It, to, it appeared. Deeply unhappy. <laughs> yeah. I think, though, um, it was meant to kind of show the predicament of women or just young 30s in the 90s trying to find love and they were all yuppies that maybe you know that glass ceiling women in jobs they wanted to have a job and be funny but also be a mother have be a all. wife have it all I um, remember getting the impression I got from the film was time was running out you know tick tock tick tock um, good point know, the biological there. clock and this kind of thing so postponing that yes you know and then a mad rush before the biological 40s. clock, you know, <laughs> runs out to maybe get married back then. I think that was the tail end of not the emphasis in marriage, but the importance of marriage. You know, society has changed even since that book yeah, was written, I think. Very definitely. There's, you know, nobody really cares. So it is quite set in its time then. Yeah. It is off its time. But it's there a universal it's... theme that runs through different time periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you can still read those books today because the theme of love mm-hmm. hasn't changed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all social commentaries of their yeah. time. Well, no, the, the hook with all of these books, I think, mm-hmm. is the love aspect. Um, everybody yearns for the happy mm-hmm. ending. And that was, you know, the real hook of the, the Bridget Jones. The rest of it can be really, really irritating, you know, you know mm-hmm. rather than... Yeah. Well, do you know what? Uh, what I did love was her description of trying to cook the meal. And she st- it, it started off as on the menu as velute of celery soup, char-grilled tuna on velute of cherry tomatoes and fondant potatoes and confit of oranges for the dessert. <laughs> it oh, ended same. up as blue soup because she used blue string for the carcass for the stock, omelette and marmalade instead of the confit of oranges. I really did laugh reading that and imagining myself a long time ago when I just got my house, my first house, I did have a meal and I tried to cook something. It was a lasagna and the um, white sauce wasn't firm you, enough. You were sexing up the description of it, were you? <laughs> no, I didn't even do that. I just said it wasn't. But it was just so funny the way you get under pressure and you're trying to cook and you know these people are arriving and it just goes to much. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So I really appreciated that there was humour in that. Yeah. With regards to it being a novel, uh, a world-shaping novel, yes, I can see why it's in that category. Um, I'm sorry to say I found it a little bit tedious. Would I recommend it to anyone? No, actually, I don't think I would. Would I be interested in reading the other two parts of the trilogy? No. But you know, hey, someone else might enjoy it, so... 
Well, moving on now to March, um, the theme for March is adventure, and there are 10 titles here. Kirsty, if you would let us know what the first yeah. five are. Yep, yeah. we have The City of Bohemia by Carbon Barry, Eye of the Needle by Ken Follett, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway, His Dark Materials Trilogy by Philip Pullman, and Ivanhoe by Walter Scott. Now, what does anybody think about those? Anybody, any, have you read any of them, Kirsty? Yeah, I have. I've read His Dark Materials, the trilogy. I've read those. I've read Dark Materials as well. Well, that's going to get a lot of interest because it's on the TV at the minute. Yeah, and um, I I think I've read um, Eye of the Needle by Kevin Follett. I have read some. Yarns, rubbing yarns. I have read some of Ken Follett's stuff, not that one. And again, like uh, that, For Whom the Bell Tolls, I think it's a classic and sort of, uh, I think, uh, on your list of. Maybe something. So I Dirty wouldn't books. mind. I'd love to read a Kevin Barry book. Yeah, I wouldn't mind getting well, that. Well, wait, wait. We'll yeah. see, we'll see. Michael, can you let us know what the other five are? Okay. Um, second five are Mr. Stanfast by John Buchan, The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, uh, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, The Jack Aubrey Novels by Patrick O'Brien, and Lord of the Rings Trilogy by J.R. Tolkien. Oh goodness! Well, look, one there's a couple of trilogy. That's a trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. So yeah, yeah I've read. Presumably, that. have you? Have yes. All read of it. it. Yeah. So I've read it. Oh, I'm a villain. Well, that wouldn't be fair. You couldn't even cheat and watch all the films quickly, like. No. <laughs> so uh, I've read it, and I've read The Hunger Games. And so, the, the Jack Aubrey novels, I think there's, I don't know how many are in that. I've read a few of the Jack Aubrey novels, yeah. So presumably we could just read any one of them? Yeah, I think so. Mr. Standfast, I've no idea. Yeah. What, I know The Big Sleep and I know The Hunger Games. I love The Big Sleep. I love Raymond Chandler books. No, I love I them, noir. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whenever his books are translated to, to film, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love the, uh, the hard-boiled P.I. Yeah, kind of thing, yeah. You know. Well, I like the idea of adventure for March. It's nice the way it's linked to spring adventure. I keep thinking of a mad March hare when I think of adventure. <laughs> You're a mad March hare. <laughs> now I'm thinking of Alice in Wonderland and the March hare. No one like go there. So all we need to do now. Get the tin. Woo! The tin. Tin. Woo! Right, who's going first? Kirsty. Right, go, go first. All right, okay. Okay, I shall go first. Okay. Oh, great. I got Raymond Chandler, The Big Sleep. Kirsty, what did you get? Oh, I have got Ivanhoe. Mm. Mm. Scott. Ivanhoe. Ivanhoe. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I have got. Oh, Kevin Barry. Excellent. <laughs> That's not right. You must have. That's brilliant. Excellent. I am delighted that I got the big sleep, Raymond Chandler. I know he's a private investigator and he's clean shaven, wears a suit, and he's not ashamed that anybody knows that. That's, 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 that's a good start. <laughs> no, I am happy with what I've got. I like historical novels. This again would come under the classical s- section. So, um, hopefully, it'll not be too emotional for you. <laughs> I would like a nice, easy, uh, just a nice read. Like men in green tights. <laughs> a leisure read. Robin <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> no, don't encourage her, please. 
I got Kevin Barry, and he's kind of the man in the moment in mm. Irish literature, isn't he? So uh, I haven't read it. So yeah, really looking forward to that. I lucked out again. So yeah, good. Well done. Well, well, listen in next month and hear how we get on with our books. And we will be selecting our books for April. And the theme is Life, Death and Other Worlds, which you're going to like, Kirsty. <laughs> in the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Chat about this on social media at hashtag mybooklife. And you can also find more at librariesni.org.uk. So it's goodbye from Paula, the book-loving librarian. Bye-bye from Kirsty. Bye from uh, Michael from Randall's Town Library. Come and see us soon. <laughs> Bye all. <laughs> <laughs>